At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, I always start out with good morning, North Point. It seems so formal this morning uh, for at least me. My name is Chris Carter. Uh, If you don't know who I am, that's okay. I haven't been here for a little while, so it's not you. It's me. That seems to be our phrase this morning between the app and me not being, it's not you, it's me. Anyways, um, and uh, uh, I just want to say hi. I'm privileged to be up here again, getting to speak to you. I've been on a sabbatical for the last three months, and uh, I'm learning lots of folks don't know uh, what, that, what that even means, because how many industries have this opportunity where you get to take three months away from the normal responsibilities of uh, a work environment and really just concentrate on something unique and different. And so uh, three months, got to experience a bunch of cool things. And, um, and in that, really, there was a, a learning focus that all those things kind of related to. It's, it's not really a vacation, and it's not just time off. It is time away from the normal responsibilities to like dial in and concentrate on one thing in particular. But, um, but I wanted to say thank you. I, I haven't had really the opportunity to do that uh, to the group, to the church here. So I want to say thanks for doing that. Uh, thanks for making that possible for, uh, for me, my wife, Emily, and then my youngest daughter who's mooching off of us. Are they in the room? No, good. Mooching off of us for the summer because uh, she's home from college. Um, got to experience that. So we just appreciate that. I mean, you're, you're giving uh, help to make that happen, and we do appreciate that. We recognize what a privilege that is, um, as well as thanks to folks that stepped up over the last three months and got to put on uh, the various hats that I normally wear, and so really stepping up to the plate, knocking it out of the park, and if nothing else, I learned I'm highly unnecessary, and so that's cool. Um, not really, but it was good to know that folks could just tackle that and appreciated that, and then for you that prayed for us, uh, appreciate that as well. If you prayed that I wouldn't come back, I'm sorry, here I am. So, um, uh, but we did get to do some cool things. I just want to show you a couple pictures just because you got to be part of that. Uh, one thing that my wife and I did uh, is kind of a, a highlight for us. We went to this little state. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Colorado. It's where the Garden of Eden is and where God lives. And so if you ever want to meet with him, you should go to Colorado. If you've ever lived, anybody here lived in Colorado before? Okay, good, because I, I was, are you, what are you doing here? Why did you leave? Like, good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm looking for, if you know a way, I'm trying to, anyways. Anyways, it was beautiful, gorgeous. Did some fun things, Pikes Peak and, and um, uh, whitewater rafting and whatever. But, but the main purpose was we spent two weeks at a retreat center there designed for uh, ministry couples to assess mental and spiritual uh, and marriage health. And so that was just a really good time for Emily and I. So thanks for letting us do that. Um, I got to do this thing too, which uh, if you've heard some of the stories, if we're friends on Facebook, you saw some of these pictures. Uh, I, I made that, I forged a sword out of a chunk of steel, and I say I forged a sword. Um, I had a bladesmith who said, hit it here. No, no, not there. Let me fix that uh, for four days. So uh, that was a, it was an incredible process, and I'm sure that um, uh, more of that story will leak out because really that's the visual process of what I was studying and trying to dial in on. Um, this was like a physical picture for me. And so anyways, a cool experience. Um, I, I connected with a guy named Brian Evelich uh, from the TV show Forged in Fire. If anyone tells you binging Netflix, Netflix is not good for you, they're wrong. See, I met him because I was binging Netflix. So I'm just trying to help you out here if you're a Netflix fan. So, uh, so anyways, I just cold called him and we hooked up. It was, it was an interesting four days. So that was kind of a cool experience. And then uh, last couple pictures and then we'll stop talking about me. But 
Um, this one up top here, uh, I got uh, certified in something called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of the, um, the really popular approach to what they call the helping modalities, uh, psych psychology, psychiatry, um, therapy, that kind of stuff, the helping modalities. Cognitive behavioral therapy is, um, is this idea that how you think, I know this will be revolutionary to you, how you think impacts how you live. Now, when I say it like that, you're like, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting how much our, we'll talk about it a little more this morning, but it's interesting how much uh, our thinking impacts our, our living. Like those things are not disconnected, and so, so much can happen by just thinking the, the right or healthy way, which is super funny because that's really what the whole Bible is about. <laughs> but sometimes it takes the world a little longer <clears throat> to get the biblical truth. So anyhow, uh, certified in that, so it's fun. And then this last picture I just keep around me to remind me of how old I am. I did a wedding for a kid that was in my youth group 15 years ago, and, and all these kids were some of my old youth group kids, and it just makes me feel old, and so that's good, because we keep it humble. So um, anyways, got to do a wedding in California, which was a riot, and I'll tell you, I, I tell you more stories about them, but we don't have time. So anyhow, um, thanks for that cool stuff, but, but really the focus for those three months wasn't the cool stuff. All those things kind of pointed and danced around and, and were different ways to get at this question right here. And it can be said as a question or a statement. The question, I guess, is how do people grow spiritually? What does it take to actually grow spiritually? Now, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of tackles that question, but they don't use the word spiritual. They would use the word uh, emotional or, or mental or something in those lines. They might use the word spiritual. They, they may or may not mean God, depending on the practitioner. But it's interesting because how do you grow Spiritually, we're all in this room, like, we, unless you got drug here by a family member or you are in the wrong uh, address and you came in and now you feel bad about leaving, uh, you came here probably because you want to grow spiritually. And so how does that happen? How does that, that work? Uh, if you've been plugged into church for a long time or plugged into people who would call themselves Christians for a long time, my guess is that you would agree with me that sometimes we know church people or people that would call themselves Christians that don't seem to grow spiritually. They are doing the same stuff they were doing 20 years ago. It's just a different shape of body or wrinkle approach and, that, and same stuff. And you're like, does this stuff work? Maybe in, in your own life, my own life, uh, sometimes we think we're doing all the right things. I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying, but you just feel stuck. How, what, do you, how do, what do you do? What do you do with that? Like, what does it mean to grow spiritually? If someone comes to you and says, oh, like from work or something, they're like, oh, you're a church person or whatever. Like, what do I do to grow spiritually? What do you tell them to do? So I spent three months, we, don't, we won't unpack all that this morning, that's for another time, but we, I do want to touch on one of those three, I think there's three elements, by the way. I, I want to touch on one of those this morning, because the text in the Bible that we're in this morning, I think, leans towards that. It, it provides a natural opportunity to talk about it. We're, we're in this series that we're calling Crazy Talk, and it's really driven from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, what they've called for 
decades and decades, the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus took a group to this mountainside and, and delivered these thoughts, so we call it a sermon, it's really more about Jesus talking, but, but anyhow, Sermon on the Mount, we're calling it crazy talk, and, and what he talks about in this section we're gonna look at this morning really leans to the first of the three things that I've landed on that are mandatory, non-negotiables for spiritual growth, and it's this word right here, perspective. Perspective, and, and what I mean when I say perspective is this idea of what narratives we buy that impacts our, our lives. The concept of what stories we adopt as true in our life, that can lead towards spiritual growth or spiritual stagnation. We could say the same thing is true about just mental health. What, what stories we adopt, what narratives, what things we think are true can encourage our mental health or incredibly derail our mental health. Perspective, I think, is key to the concept of spiritual growth, especially the stories that we believe, that we buy, that we adopt about ourselves and about God or how we relate to God. So, so if at some point you buy the narrative I am so messed up. How could God ever love a guy like me? See, that narrative will play out the rest of your life. You will live in ways that match that story. If you adopt the narrative, um, man, I am good. <laughs> Dang, I'm something special. Like, and no one else is. That narrative will play out <laughs> how much you get beat up. I mean, how much you live the rest of your life. It makes sense, right? It's not, right? So it's just, there's a couple of narratives that I think are common. Um, I think they're false narratives that are common uh, to folks who would uh, call themselves Christians or church people or whatever. A couple of false narratives that are real common we see often. The first one is, what matters is having faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that matters is having faith in Jesus. And I say that, and you're super nervous, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's way off theologically, because that is, there's truth to that. That's the danger of some of these narratives is that there's some truth in it, because having faith in Jesus matters. But when you say, well, the only thing that matters is having this faith in Jesus, you, you might be excluding an ongoing relationship with Jesus. So when we say the only thing that matters is having faith in Jesus, what sometimes we mean by that was, well, at some point in my life, I, I walked down an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I filled out a card, I, I did the dance, I dropped my dollar, whatever the thing was, whatever the moment was, and I, and I accepted Jesus, and, and I'm good now. Like, I did my thing when I was five or 15 or 55, and I'm good. And I just say that that false narrative wrecks kind of the rest of the way we live our life. And then we wonder why churches uh, are often filled with really weak Christians, so much so that when, when a chaos or a crisis comes through a nation, like, like you just, where did the Christians go? I, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Afghanistan, but I can't get away from it. I, if you, I mean, I'm not really a, an advocate of watching lots of news because it's not the healthiest place to be the last couple of years, but good night. We got brothers and sisters who are going to meet Jesus in the next few days, if not already, simply because of what they believe to be true, because of a narrative they've adopted. And, and I saw a meme this week that was like, and, and we may not show up to church because it's too cold, too hot, too nice, too, you know where all that's going. I'm not looking to do guilt because I'm, I'm just pointing at me and talking to me for a minute here, but 
It's interesting, this idea of, uh, of if we believe, well, it's just about that moment that we made some profession and we exclude the relationship. We just end up with weak Christians. Uh, the second false narrative that I see uh, Christians, people that would call themselves Christians, church folk, uh, adopt often is the only way to be a good Christian is to keep all of the rules. The only way to be a good Christian is to keep all of the rules. This is really all about living right. So you find out the rules to the game, you find out what it's supposed to be, you find someone to look at, and you just do that. You follow the rules, you do it like them, you, you play the game. And, and these folks are often, you, you know them on Facebook, because they're often all about what they're against. You don't hear a lot about what they're for. Um, I, I experience these folks in terms of, I, I use the word uh, joy suckers. <laughs> Or, or life killers, or because these people are just about following these rules. And both the faith-only or the rules-only crowds, they both miss the same thing, which is this ongoing developing relationship with Jesus, what, what the old-timers would have called sanctification. Like, sure, you entered into a relationship with Jesus in a moment. Maybe it was when you were five. Maybe it involved an aisle or a prayer or you were 15 or 55. And that was a moment, but the rest of life is spent hopefully developing that relationship and growing in that relationship with Jesus. Both the, the faith, only faith matters or, or keep all the rules people, they miss that. They miss that relationship component. The perspective we maintain, the narrative we adopt, the stories we tell ourselves determine who we are in life. If we're convinced, somehow convinced ourselves that Christianity is nothing more than showing up on a Sunday and not cussing and keeping our pants on and following a set of do's and don'ts, and we live this restrictive life. My, my friend uses this illustration of city dogs versus country dogs, and I wanted to read it so I get it right. He says this. He says, do you know the difference between country dogs and city dogs? As country dogs live in the wide open spaces with a great deal of freedom to roam. They can go down to the creek, wrestle with a skunk, sleep in a sunny pasture, or forage for food. And at first they do. But after a while, the country dog stays in the same old place day after day on the master's porch. The country dog has been to Paris, as they say. He's gotten into a few scrapes and has seen the open range for what it is. Now, the country dog is content to stay near the master. After all, he may get a biscuit or a pat on the head or a belly rub. The city dog is quite different. The city dog lives cooped up in a house and is forbidden to leave the home. The city dog has one aim, getting out. The city dog has learned when and how the doors will be opened and how to nudge it just so in the hope of escape. The moment the door is cracked open, the city dog makes a run for it. The master may have to run after the dog or even get in the car and search the neighborhood for the fugitive, constantly yelling the dog's name, begging it to come home. If the master sees the dog, he or she will likely bribe the dog with a biscuit or lasso the dog with a leash in order to get it home. Those who approach the Christian life with a set of rules and laws and do's and don'ts are a lot more like city dogs. Interesting. I just find that interesting. The narratives that we tell ourselves, the, the truths that we adopt into our lives shape so deeply. The, the way we identify ourselves in Christ, I mean, that changes everything. And I think that's where Jesus goes as he begins to end his Sermon on the Mount, this is the series that we're calling Crazy Talk in Matthew chapter seven. As he begins to end that, he tells three, uh, four illustrations. We'll look at three this morning uh, on this whole idea of arranging your life around Jesus is the only way to a good life. Arranging your life around Jesus is the only way to a good life. That statement speaks against our culture. Because in our culture, how do we arrange our life? 
Me. The world, right? I've been doing this since 1990 with students when I tried to explain to them, this is a challenge with teenagers. I love my teenagers, right? But very often they are me, <laughs> the world. As kind of ex adorable, acceptable, okay, no, expected, I don't know. It's kind of, eh, when it's a teenager, right? It's like, ah, they're learning their kids and that kind of stuff. We get it. We'll, we'll be, we'll, I was going to say we'll beat it out of them, but we're recording the service. So we'll help work it out of them, right? Not beating. I'm just kidding on home, right? But it's not so, it's so much uglier in a 40-year-old. And yet that's how we function in our cultures that the world revolves around us. And I'm saying that Jesus is saying as he comes down to the end of his sermon, the idea of arranging your life around Jesus is the only way to live a good life. And adopting that narrative is a game changer. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 7 is where we're gonna be. If you don't have a Bible with you, I think there's some in the pew backs. If you have your phone, we know the app doesn't work unless you have an Android, but remember, rocks also work. <laughs> but anyways, uh, that's a little, Rick's not here, I can't make that joke. The idea being, um, uh, or if you have your phone, hopefully you have a version app, but I want you to pull this up somewhere. Matthew chapter seven, I want you to see this. We'll put verses on the screen as well. But I want you to see this so you know we're not just making this up. Matthew chapter seven, three illustrations, starting in verse 13. This whole idea of how you arrange your life. It starts with one simple story, about two paths, and it says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Really simple little illustration here. It's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's clear, and Jesus is making this simple point that there are two options, and only two options. It's not a myriad of options. We live in a culture where we want to have millions of options, thousands of options, hundreds of options from everything, from what car I buy to what gender I choose. There are two options Jesus is talking about. There's two paths. One is, one is narrow and small, if you find it. One is broad and wide, and lots of folks are on it. And I think really what he's painting here, this picture that he's painting, is, is, is a picture of comfort versus uncomfortable. And there's this path that is, that is narrow and small, and it's kind of uncomfortable, versus this, this road that is just broad and wide. Lots of people are on it. You don't have to swim against the flow. It's just simple. It's sort of the natural lean to just go that way. Jesus says there's two paths. And, and that narrow, small path, it might be uncomfortable now, but it leads to a place of ultimate comfort. But this, this other path that is just broad and comfortable and easygoing, like it, it may be comfortable for a minute, but it leads to a place, the word they use there is destruction, it leads to a place of, of absolute uncomfortable. That's like understatement of the year. See, this, this is a culture that walked everywhere. Eh, maybe they rode some animal every now and then, but most of them walked. And so, so if you've ever done any hiking or anything or walking, you understand the difference between a single track that you're walking on versus the fire road. <laughs> the single track is much more uncomfortable at times, you, you, know, you know, cliff and whatever and all this kind of, and yet there's something completely different to that than walking on this fire road. And that's the picture that Jesus employs. One is comfortable now, one is not so comfortable later. There are only two options. You don't get to customize this. You don't get to make it up. You don't get to tell yourself a different story and then demand that it be true. I, I like to use the word, there are, the phrase, there are lots of paths to Jesus, only one path to heaven, only one path to God. 
There's lots of ways, and if we had time and we went around and started in the back and moved all the way through to this back corner over here, and we asked the question, how did you enter into a relationship with Jesus? Like, how did you get to that point? We would have 100 probably different stories. That'd be all over the map, right? It'd be super cool to experience, because there's lots of ways to Jesus. And yet there's only one way that you get into heaven. Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God. No one gets to heaven except through me. End of story. If you want to believe it happens a different way, it's just not an option. Jesus doesn't allow for that here. The next illustration that we see starting in verse 15 is this idea of, uh, of prophets. We'll talk about that in a sec. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly the ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says there's, there's two prophets. Prophets is kind of a word that we don't use a ton today. Prophets, in the Old Testament, prophets were people who literally spoke for God. Like, the people weren't ready to talk to God yet directly. And so God spoke to a prophet who spoke to people who then told the prophet and told back to God. And so it was kind of like this down chain, up chain thing. And that, that was fine. And then when Jesus came on the planet, like, that kind of changed. And, then, and now we have the Bible. And so, like, we've, we have this ability to speak directly to God. And so prophets changed from these, these folks that, like, literally spoke to God for the people or, or to the people from God, and really, I think, became more, and I like the word, influencers. That's just a word that communicates in our culture. A little bit. They're influencers. And so some of these prophets in Jesus' day were, were influencing people towards God, and some were gonna influence people away from God. That's, that's, that's now, right now. Like, there's tons of online preachers. There's tons of online content. You can find a video on YouTube to prove any crazy thing you wanna prove, Amen. Yeah, we know this, right? And so it's, but how do you know which one is good? Like, how do you know which of these, these, this Christian content I'm listening to is, is actually leading me towards Jesus? Or how do I know if it's moving away? It's interesting because we're in a section still in this scripture, in this text, in chapter seven. We're in a section talking about judging. And we learned last week, a couple weeks ago, this idea that if we come at people with this judgmental attitude and purpose and goal, we're not gonna be any good to them. Right, he uses this picture of a log in our own eye. If we go at people with a motive like that, then we're just gonna be getting in the way. He uses the picture of pearls given to pigs. Like if you give pearls to pigs, that's no good because pigs can't digest pearl. So, so like it's just, it's just pointless, it's worthless. So it's, he talks about not judging and yet we get to this section and he says that there are two kinds of influencers. How do you know which one is good and which one isn't? He talks about trees. And again, in agrarian culture, they understood trees. They were farmers. This made sense to them. How do you know if a tree is a good tree or not? Jesus says you check the fruit, right? Take a bite. See what it's like. Or look at it. What does it look like? Or is there any? <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, it's not rocket science. We kind of get this. It's this, this, this incredibly important distinction between judging, because there's a heart that comes with that, and, and a, I would just say uh, fruit inspecting. And the interesting thing about fruit is that you can't force fruit. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like a botanist. I don't, I'm, I don't grow things. So I, if you are, I'm probably doing like kindergarten version of this, so forgive me. But, but you can't force fruit. 
You can't go out to your yard and yell at your fruit tree to make better fruit. I've tried it. I know you can't do it, right? It just doesn't work like that. So if you want good fruit from your tree, what do you do? Nurture that soil and you put in the things that it needs to have to be healthy fruit. And I don't know, some trees need another tree next to it to do something trees do. And then some trees need space, so they'll more tree. I don't know tree, but, but the tree person knows tree. But I know when good fruit is coming off the tree. And you're not going to like make the tree produce fruit. And the same is true in our lives. You know, it's not like I'm just going to be like, I need to be better. And somehow force that out of me. What root am I nurturing? In Galatians 5, many of us know this passage, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that leak out of the lives of people who have a relationship with Jesus. And there's a list before that. It's the opposite of all of those things. And those are the things that leak out of the lives of people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, or have some kind of a very, very weak relationship with Jesus. Well, it's interesting because even that list of things, love, joy, peace, patience, it's not like you decide one day, I'm going to be more faithful today. I heard a sermon on faithfulness. I watched some YouTube influencer. They said, I need to be more faithful. I'm going to be more faithful. So you write faithful on a card, and you put it on your mirror, and you look at it every day when you shave or sculpt or whatever you do. You go, I'm going to be faithful today. And then somehow you're just magically more faithful. Now, the reason it's funny when I say that is probably most of us have tried that. I read a book about being more loving. And so I said, I'm gonna love more. So you write love on a, on a card. Or you're like, I need to be kind. I've driven by all these signs in DeWitt and in lots of areas. Like, be kind. And I love the sentiment. I love the sentiment. How do you be more kind? I'm just gonna work really hard at it. I'm just gonna bear down and be kinder. And that may work for a minute or a month, I don't know, like you're better than I am, maybe a month, you're kinder, and then something happens. Life happens, or you forget, or that guy gets in front of you in the drive-thru, and <laughs> kindness is out the window, right? See, because to, to bear that fruit, to be more kind, to be more faithful, it's not about forcing the fruit, it's all about nurturing the roots, what am I doing with that? How am I connecting in a deeper relationship with Jesus? Because those things will leak out. So Jesus says, how do you know who's a legit influencer versus who's not? You watch what leaks out of their lives. Watch what fruit they're producing. And then you know how that works. Third illustration, if the influencer prophet thing doesn't resonate with you, this one will. It's all about two different kinds of disciples. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, look at, look at all we did in your name. We prophesied in your name, and in your name we drove out demons, and in your name performed many miracles. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Uh, we live in a culture today, I don't, I don't get it, but we live in a culture today that like craves fear, like they want things to be afraid of, I think. And it's interesting, if you want something to be afraid of, there you go. There, there you go. There's, there's a real thing to be afraid of. Like somehow, and I, I used to think this, like I could do all the right things, do all the right things, and eventually make it up to see Jesus face to face, and he's like, I don't know you. Like that's, 
That should be terrifying. If I were to rewrite this, the Chris version would read like, many will say, hey, Jesus, look at all I did for you. I read hundreds of Christian books, and I volunteered at church, and I gave money to the poor, and I read the Bible to blind shut-ins, and I prayed some amazing prayers. And Jesus says, fool, I don't know you. That, that terrified me for a long, long time. And so much is in that verse, and, and sometimes we miss it on a casual reading because some of the words are incredibly important. That word, Lord, Lord, there is a Greek word, kurios, and it, and it literally is a word that could be used and is typically used of a, of a worker, a servant in a home towards the master, maybe a, an, an employee towards the corporation owner to contextualize that. So I mean, it is this arm's distance word. Lots of other words could have been chosen to put in there, like Elohim could have been in there, or Rabboni, Mary uses when she sees Jesus, she's a teacher, and there's this term of endearment, or, or uh, Paul uses the word uh, Abba in, in, in the book of Romans, like we have this ability to call God Abba, Father, like Daddy God, like these terms of endearment and closeness, but there's this word that they employ here that says, uh, Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, and it really implies an element of keeping Jesus at arm's distance. And, and, they, and they say, sir, sir, look at all these amazing things we did for you. And these are cool things. Like, you know, they, they, they got demons out and they, they prophesied and they did miracles. That's, that's amazing stuff. They're good things. They're very Christian things. But there's something locked up in there because apparently it wasn't God's will. Because Jesus says, only the ones who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Those are the ones that are going to be there. And it goes on to talk about these great things, and yet Jesus didn't know them. And there's something packaged in those two concepts of it's not in the doing, but it's in the knowing. See, God's will isn't so much in doing these things or any of the other things. It is in and wrapped up and all about knowing Jesus and being known by him. That, that word that's employed there where Jesus says, I never knew you, it's, it's a really rich uh, word. It's this uh, concept, it, it literally means, if we were to define it, it says to learn to know, come to know, get a knowledge of, a deep knowledge of, to perceive, to feel, to become known, to perceive, to understand. So it's a much more richer word. It doesn't mean to just know about something, but it's this idea of knowing, knowing something. Matter of fact, over time, the Jews took this word and it became an idiom for Jews for sexual intercourse, like the most intimate form of knowing someone. That's, that's why we break down in our culture sometimes when sex becomes just a frivolous thing and it's, it's not maintained in the right relationship, it's just this thing. And it, well, that's the most intimate thing you can participate. It's how you know someone so deeply. And so that's the word. And I don't want to get too weird with that because that's not what Jesus is Thing, but there's this intimacy there that we're asking for. It's not knowing about Jesus, and it's not knowing what Jesus wants me to do. It's literally knowing Jesus. What an opportunity. What a call. What, a, what an experience for us to be invited into knowing in an intimate way, not at arm's distance where we're like, oh, I know you're up there. Me and the big man are cool. But like knowing intimately the creator of the universe like having this deep relationship with Jesus. Well, Jesus uses these three illustrations. There's another one. We'll look at it next week or the week after. This, this, the, to, to flip the script on what people think about religion, about this relationship with him, about this thing that we call Christianity. It's not any way I want it, anytime I need it. 
right? It's not the Burger King motto, you can have it your way. It's not I follow whoever makes me feel good. It's not I'm doing the right stuff so God and I are fine. I've heard all of those before. It's not about those things. It is only this. It is only abiding with Jesus. Living life in light of who I am in Christ. It is believing that arranging my life around Jesus is the only way to a good life. And so these illustrations that are simple and make sense in our brain really beg the questions. And I think the original listeners would have left with these questions. And I wanna leave us with them this morning right here. What road are you on then? Wide and easy, narrow and uncomfortable. What leaks out of you? What kind of influencer are you? Good fruit or bad? What kind of disciple are you? Digging into actually knowing Jesus or are you banking on all the stuff you do for Jesus? So the phrase that you've heard us say throughout this entire series is that it may sound crazy, but crazy will change the world. And maybe you feel like, well, this abiding in Jesus thing, that doesn't, I don't know how you can change the world if you're just doing that. And I would actually argue that, that most people who had world-changing inventions or initiatives or ideas were actually people who were chasing Jesus. But, but, but regardless, if you feel like abiding in Jesus, that seems so simple. Like it doesn't seem like it will change the world. Well, maybe, maybe not, but I can guarantee that it will change your world. Abiding with Jesus changes us. Abiding in Christ and leaking out of the fruit of the Spirit, it's a totally lost commodity in our contemporary COVID, politically hypercharged world. Those things come from being close to Jesus and resting in him. Amen.